This episode of Star Trek The Next Conversation is brought to you by I Love Chocograms. Andy, I don't know if you know this. They have a tagline. Ready? It's pretty good. Here it goes. Okay. Chocograms. Gift tins full of sweet surprises. It's truth in advertising. It's great. They will send you... Look, here's the thing. Small batch company, homemade stuff. This is good chocolate, good sweets, and it's not just chocolate. There, uh, You can get hot cocoa. You know, the winter's coming around. Hard to believe that currently in, in California, uh, but I hear it's going to get colder. Andy's got it right there. What, what do you got, Andy? What's that? What's your loud prop? <laughs> the pumpkin spice. I have tried the pumpkin spice, delicious, and I've tried the uh, just the regular chocolate. It's just like a ball of chocolate. You drop it into hot water, hot milk, and then it, it melts the chocolate, and then you got a marshmallow inside, it's which r- is delightful. It's a and also ingenious. You know, just a sugar rush. It's kind of like the hot chocolate of the future. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I, think that's, that's, I wonder if you could go to a replicator and go, computer, uh, please give me a Choco Graham pumpkin spice hot cocoa bomb. And would someone in the future say, you know, the replicator's version is not quite as good as the original Choco <laughs> We may never know the true answer to that, but what we do know is you can get the true version, the non-replicated version sent to your home. And on top of that, uh, there's a special offer for you wonderful people out there listening. It's a promo code. That's right. So go over to I Love Chocograms. That's I-L-O-V-E Choco, C-H-O-C-O-G-R-A-M-S dot com and uh, place an order. And if you want to get 15% off that first order, enter the promo code Frank Sinatra. Come on. Supporting Come them. On, spelled out. That's right. C O M E O N. I don't know why I spell that out for people, but I like to spell. That's what the call to action is, Andy. You got to spell things out so people don't go to the wrong <laughs> no, place. I get it. You don't want to. You don't want to be mistaken. Uh, but you head over to I Love Choco Grams. Tell them Matt and Andy sent you. Frank Sinatra. Come on is the promo code for fifteen percent off your first order. What are you waiting for? Treat yourself right now. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful company. I can't believe they were. Uh, uh, brave enough to have a, a sponsor be sponsored by them. <laughs> I want to say brave enough. I think it's a match made in heaven. Yes, two, two guys. You send us chocolates. Uh, that's the right call. Uh, yes, chocolates that are delicious. Uh, Jessica uh, runs the company. Her husband uh, is a fan of the show, and 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 not only said, "Hey, would you guys advertise this wonderful company my wife has made uh, for Chocograms, but also, such a fan of the show that uh, he sent Andy a mug. That's right. <laughs> what does it say, Matt? It says, Andy is the MVC. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't it's know. It's on a mug. It. You can't fight it now. It's not official because we didn't play the opening to the MVC theme song. Anyway. <laughs> I don't oh, know if I'm you're sorry. waiting for me to do it. <laughs> I'm just saying. I thought, I thought you were official. really going to do that, or I heard a click, so I didn't know what was happening. I hung up. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> we're not on the telephone we're recording a podcast uh so everybody thank you so much support this podcast by supporting choco grams go to i love and enter the promo code frank sinatra come on to save 15 percent off your very first order it's delicious trust us and now here is the show
podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Hey everyone, welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation. I'm Matt. I'm Andy. I'll just start with that. Just my <laughs> apology for the audio quality of the podcast, and then we'll jump right in. How is everybody doing? We finally have Andy's long-awaited return of Moriarty! So excited. Oh my gosh. Remember many years like ago a- when we were like talking about it, and Andy's like, does he ever come back? And I was like, oh. Yeah, no, I think I sounded, I sounded more like Moriarty. It was like it was very, very well spoken when I said it. it was like, mm. does he ever come back? Uh, that was almost as bad as <laughs> uh, Levar Burton's accent. <laughs> Andy's accent corner. It's gonna be shit. Uh, Damn you, Holmes. <laughs> we should do a Lavar's accent corner whenever <laughs> that comes up when he's pretending to be a character in the holodeck. Uh, that being said, Matt. Would you have them watch this episode? Yeah, I love this episode. It's a favorite of mine. Thank you. You did it. Uh, I did. I did. We all did it together as people who enjoy Star Trek, the next generation. Uh, Yeah, six episode 12. We're like almost halfway into the sixth season, Andy. There's only a season and a half left. It's crazy. I feel like we've been... At warp 9.65. Well, we've been, since quarantine started, we have been plowing through Star That's Trek. True. Like, at a rate unseen since we first started the podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is appreciated by all the people that say they appreciate it. And, and it is not appreciated, thankfully, by people who say nothing. There you go. We don't even know. They could be appreciating <laughs> it, but they're just silent. I was saying that they would not be appreciating it, but are silent. They'd oh. be antagonized by it. Well, I mean, sometimes I appreciate things, and I just don't say it enough. You know, like Andy, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day today to get this done. Hey, Matt, right back at you. Maybe it's the fact that I had therapy at four. I don't know, but uh, did that give you some juice? Was oh, it it like, like you it, know what? I am a good person. It exhausted it. Oh. It exhausted my juice. It wasn't the I, 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 look. We'll Did dive in. in we'll, let's dive into some therapy right now. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I. 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 I have the realization that I purely function on guilt. Either huh, yeah. uh, making someone right. feel guilty, or just feeling complete and utter guilt constantly for not doing things that I should be doing, or uh whatever maybe it's the fact that i have 345 unread text messages or the fact that i have 91,921 emails that i haven't read uh i mean i probably it, have more than that it just makes me uh, horribly guilty that I, I i have there's so many people that have reached out that i haven't gotten back to and i what get, percentage of those people really are like hey matt what's going on or why aren't you you know like re- reaching out to you directly uh I, there's uh, quite a few in the text message department and then what happens no. is i spend so much time worrying about what i should after like a day goes by like oh god i really should have called i should have texted them back immediately and i didn't and uh, i'll just ignore it and then i ignore it and i feel bad anyway that's the guilt cycle that matt, i have you drowned it with food today no 
Uh, Maybe this is. Should I? I don't need therapy. I need. Uh, that's what I did today. <laughs> I had pizza. I'm going into a, uh, a gourmet, what's called a pork strami sandwich. Um, pork strami. That sounds good. Yeah. And then I also got a cheesecake with it. Wow. Andy, that was that is a quality situation. This sounds like a perfect time to play our favorite sound. Andy needs a sandwich and a pizza and some ice cream and some donuts and a good pizza to cover up the bad pizza and some tacos and a burger and some french fries and a milkshake and some cookies and some onion rings. Matt needs a pizza too. The last part is very true. I like it because it uh, always it always sounds like we've had enough foods mentioned, but then as it continues, I'm like, I've really have seen you eat every single thing in the song, and and often multiple items. Uh, yeah, ones. often like often like half the song in one sitting. Yeah, <laughs> it's really that's that's my therapy and also actual therapy. Well, there you know, I also eat out of uh, depression and then get depressed about having eaten. So yeah, it is a cycle. That's There's no getting the around other it. Fuck, that's the other fucking cycle. I feel guilty Not to about mention too. The sugar. I really realized how much. I don't know if it's sugar or if it's carbs or what it is, but how much food also plays a part in the uh, the actual physiological emotional reaction. Of course, is, uh, it's a, terrible. That activates the same little dopamine hits that the uh, gambling or smoking or really, it's a miracle I don't drink. <laughs> well, you have your other vices. That's Do you get so many? Do you get depressed after you gamble, like after you're at the slots, or do you does it, you do ride that and then you go to sleep? Uh, I mean, it depends on the night. Like if I've lost money, I feel guilty about it for sure. Oh, I see. You <laughs> know, just whether whether the dopamine's been effectively yeah bolstered uh, by the money win. This has been the perfect opportunity to see if people are giving us five stars for our. Fun discussions. <laughs> I can tell you the five stars we're about to get are not deserved in this podcast so far. <laughs> well, I started by apologizing for the audio quality and <laughs> then started to tell you all about how I feel internally. Uh, let's go to the Admirals Club. Welcome to the Admirals Club. It's the Admirals Club. Uh, this is a place where five-star reviews are read out loud, and you're allowed in as soon as you write one. Couldn't say anything. Bad, good, whatever, as long as it's five stars. Andy, who's in the Admirals Club this week? Well, we got one that says, It took me five full seasons and nine episodes, but I can officially say this podcast is pretty good. <laughs> i amazed that you kept going. Like, that <laughs> you, every... I mean, think about that. It's 125 episodes, and then you're like, okay. Yeah, that was from Belly. Is this is this a pun? Bellier Ritzar. Belly Ritzar. Don't know. Well, whatever the case, that person hung in there, uh, <laughs> and I, we appreciate it. And um, we're rewarded <laughs> with great quality podcasts like today's episode. The next one is uh, titled More Entertaining Than You'd Expect from Ignorant Atheist. <laughs> uh, 
This podcast is way better than the Delta Flyers. What do those two know about making Star Trek? Have they ever written for a 30-minute sitcom? No, they haven't. Well, Matt and Andy have. Found this podcast about two months ago. Finally got caught up. Two months. Jesus. Jeez, Louise. That is... <laughs> You've been mainlining it, friend. Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. <laughs> I've been trying to get into the, into the Admiral's Club this whole time, but couldn't figure out how. The instructions are very complicated, and oh my gosh, did I forget to ask you? And rarely explained. P.S. Nachos jingles are the best. Matt, uh, how do they get into the Admiral's Club? Uh, I, I explained it at the top. <laughs> you did. I did. But I didn't ask, so now I've asked. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's it for the Admiral's And the Club. circle of things that need to happen for the OCD listener is complete. Let us <laughs> exit the Admiral's Club and uh, move on. And that was the Admiral's Club. To the President's Circle. This elite circle can be your home. If you support us on Patreon at the President Circle level, you get a four bonus episodes every single month. And uh, not only that, uh, if you want to join at the Lieutenant's level, you get two episodes every month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Star Trek TNC if you would like to hear even more of us. And the sir, the, the gentleman who wrote the uh, five-star review in the Admiral's Club who has uh, gone through two months of us, uh, but has somehow listened to every episode. Uh, <laughs> got news for you. There's more in the Patreon. <laughs> Andy, who, in. who's going to get the uh, Christopher Pike Medal of Valor, which goes to a particularly enjoyable comment from our uh, Patreon members? Uh, just re- just a heads up that we're this this month we are after many requests uh, we are going to dig into lower decks in the uh, Patreon at the lieutenants not level. the not the TNG episode of the t- not same the TNG title. episode the animated delightful we, we will romp. be doing the TNG uh, episode uh, when it when it arrives in chronological order uh, but uh, yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about all the all the lower decks that have aired thus far and I desperately need to watch more than the two that I've seen. Uh, very good. I haven't watched them yet, so I'm I've excited. I've got, got a lot of mainlining of that to do. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, Christopher okay. Pike Medal of Valor Award E. Who is it? It goes to uh, Lieutenant Erica Vanover. Uh, it's a long uh, voice hail she sent us. Uh, actually, a two-parter. <laughs> um, Which feel is free to play it. Technically. Your... Uh... Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. All right, Erica, let's go. Hey, Matt and Andy. This is Lieutenant Listener Erica Vanover. Um, Lieutenant I Listener. I wanted to tell you that, uh, two things. I have something to say about the um, past two episodes, just to think about, just throwing it out there. But before I do that, I'm unemployed, been looking for a job for six months, but the first thing I do when I get my unemployment check is pay for my Patreon because it helps me with sanity, and I think that that's... A living expense. That now, is the other uh, thing is, very kind well, of I treated myself to some Choco Grams, and I live in their delivery area. Double so kind I didn't of have you. To pay for shipping. <laughs> so, thank you. I deserve some chocolate-covered marshmallows. It's been a that hard is. couple of years. <laughs> that is some sweet self-care, anyway, Erica. I just wanted to talk about whether or not um, Jericho was. Right or wrong, or you know the the, the division, the divisiveness right. between Matt and Andy regarding protocol and so forth. 
I am on Matt's side 100% here. What is this? I've, mis- I've misplaced this. I this don't feel he's wrong. Enjoy your Medal of Valor, agreeer. things inappropriately. You know I love Riker. Love him, love him, love him, love him. But he's wrong. <laughs> um, the other thing is I vaguely remember that Andy, peace and love, I'm not trying to insult you, but I think that you really liked slash loved Commander Shelby, even though she was super wrong. She oh. was right in that she knew what she was talking about regarding the Borg, That's but right. she was wrong and handled everything, you know, completely against protocol until, you know, whatever, until the writers changed their minds. Anyway, um, I just <laughs> until she was made the first off a possibility that sometimes we um, look at male and female characters differently you know you're excusing shelby is that because she's a woman again not accusing you but if jellico was a woman jessica will say and bossing Riker around would you jessica still Jellico. be on Riker's side just asking i found myself i mean if it makes you feel better for me asking this question recently listening to some news anchors talking and one was male and one was female, they were both using the same tone, and I found myself judging the woman and thinking that the woman sounded bitchy, even though I am a woman. And ever since I caught myself doing that, it just makes me look differently at the idea of perspectives on um, male and female, especially in Star Trek. And I've said this to you before, but I couldn't remember why I stopped watching when I started listening with you again. And... I did remember because I saw this horrible episode that I love that's by the way, that is a great cold open. Which what the, the cliffhanger of what episode was it? <laughs> it's it's continued in part two. Here it is. This is listener Erica again, uh, Lieutenant Erica Vanover. <laughs> I spent a couple of minutes beating myself up for talking too much and then I remembered that Matt told a story about Don't do people that. who uh, call on his podcast with Dory and then call back and finish the story so that's what I'm doing. Anyway, long story short, and then I'll shut up, um, <laughs> I realized, I couldn't remember when I started listening to you guys why I stopped watching Star Trek, and, um, and I remembered from that one horrible episode whose name escapes me, and I'm not going to look it up, Perfect mate. the one where the uh, empath quote-unquote, fell for Picard. I just hated oh. the way they wrote that character. I found, found it really insulting. And I just think it's interesting to um, look at the way the women were, female characters were written regarding when they're in command positions. And that's why I'm just wondering if, Andy, you could ask yourself, you know, if Jellico were a woman, would you feel the same way about how uh, horrible <laughs> the character is? Um that's it. Okay, so live long and prosper, and I can't wait to get my chocolate, you guys. Thank you. Talk to you soon. <laughs> uh, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Did. Chocograms, everybody. Use that promo code, Frank Sinatra, come on, to save 15% off your first order. Go to ilovechocograms.com. Um, well, first of all, thank you, Erica, luck. so much for uh, for for uh, for sticking with us, even in your unemployment. Please, people. If you if you need your money, circle back later. Don't ever put yourselves in any kind of financial uh, situation. Yeah, the podcast will be there. Don't worry. Um, 
But thank you so much for the support and for the support of Chocograms, which are delicious. Look, if we can uh, keep you sane for, uh, let's see, for 12, uh, 20 some odd hours every month, then, then <laughs> Jesus good. Jesus Christ, is that what we're doing? Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Um, um, but, in Andy, regards, let's yes. hear it. So, okay. interesting question. I thought it was interesting. It's interesting also because it, I feel like it kind of makes it, even though her take was to judge the woman more. She's sort of saying that I'm judging the male side more, um, which kind of, I would kind of welcome that as a problem if that is what's going on subconsciously that I'm, uh, I am I lean more toward uh, judging uh, what I perceive to be a harsh uh, male uh, uh, person uh, not acting appropriately. But the, um, but I would probably... And so I am going to take a look at that, uh, Eric. I think that's a valid thing for me to see if it was if I'm if I'm slanting it in that way because certainly a lot of the women I, I uh, gravitate towards on the show as characters I like, um, including Roe, um, uh, are ones that are very steadfast in their opinions. Let's opinions, let's say. But I would say probably if I was going to analyze myself, there that might be a factor. There also might be a factor of just that I, uh, as I've stated on the show before, I think I tend to look at authority with a little bit of suspicion and the, uh, the, the lower ranks as like, those are probably the people that know what's going on. They're closer to the ground. And so that would be the distinction between Shelby and Jellico. Uh, Shelby sort well, of no, underneath the, Riker, but to the point to to your you side point, with the authoritarian Matt. To your point and her point, I was on Riker's side in Best of Both Worlds. That's what I'm saying. That's when he was he was a, of a higher rank than her. She was not following his orders. Yes, and I was on Jellico's side in Chain of Command because Riker was being a real Shelby. You're a you're a a, a hierarchy. Uh, nerd a hierarchy uh fan i just i look i think fanatic i i just think that uh when you're when you're on board a starship uh-huh. you know the chain of command is there for a reason and uh, everybody would get along a little better if everybody did their job i definitely will say this these is- this issue about Jellico has really lit up a lot of people's strong opinions in both directions. It's really been fascinating to read. I think Jellico is probably one of the more um, it really polarizing well characters in uh, Trek history, and I like it because it, it like it really it yeah. goes in there and it's supposed to shake up you know shake up the status quo. Uh, but Erica, thank you again for your voicemails and uh please enjoy the chocolate uh along with us in your ears at the same time it's gonna be pretty pretty cool uh, uh with that we're in the priority one messages proper we are in the priority one messages proper captain incoming message priority message. one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel all right so what are our patrons saying about last week's chain of command part two well, uh, Lieutenant Dylan Ekmalian writes simply, Jellico is still a dick. Uh, Lieutenant uh, Don't Feed After Midnight Podcast writes, such a great episode, guys. I have to say, you don't argue like that very often. I wonder if that's true. Um, it was straight up terrifying, LOL. Uh, the opposing points of view on Jellico were great. Matt is already getting used to his using his dad voice. Uh, <laughs> P.S. Jellico is a horse's ass. 
Um, I mean, that's a double goes. that's a, a double of, shot of non-Jellico fans opinions. right there. Um, Mike Boo Knackley writes us, really love it when the episodes are uploaded. I haphazardly found these guys when Matt mentioned the podcast on Nerdist. I've been listening since the start, and it's helped me get through uh, my wife's uh, miscarriage in November and her leukemia oh, treatment hear that. since December. Double sorry uh, to hear that. Love hearing Andy and the other guy. During these pandemic days, days, it feels like I'm getting frustrated with Picard and TNG lazy writing with my friends in the room. Um, well, just we to, are your ahead. friends in your ears. And as long as you keep referring to me as the other guy, even though Andy was in the other guys, uh, I... <laughs> was I? <laughs> I don't recognize me from that. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, 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 I hope... I hope you're well and uh and your wife is well. And I hope that uh if if our if our stupidity uh makes you feel a little bit better, then I'm great. Uh you know what? I'm uh I'm 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 shifting it around and I'm uh making the move to give you also a Christopher Pike Medal of Valor. What? Uh, hanging in there. This has never your, been done trouble. before. I know. But uh well, it's a little well, bit of a well sign of my disorganization, but uh, also you deserve it. Um, Command Master Chief Robert Garrison writes, Delta Shift is canon as proved by Lower Decks. Apparently there was a Delta Shift mentioned. Uh, Lieutenant Commander uh, Cosmo Moore writes, what shift do you want on board the D? Overnight, day, or evening? Or is it graveyard, morning, afternoon? I got to tell you, I when Data sits down for Night Watch on the bridge, uh, yeah. I kind of like that lighting a lot more, so I think I'd want to be Nightwatch. Do they do that to kind of keep people's circadian rhythms correct or some crap like that? Uh, probably, but circadian. seeing as Data doesn't have a rhythm. Oh, yes, he wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> or, do, or does he? Is that something that, that uh, Noonien built oh, into him? Oh, man, that guy. Such a genius. Sections 31, Agent Wheeler writes, <laughs> Hey guys, I'm doing some maintenance on my shuttle from somehow ending up in the 32nd century. I won't bore you with the details how it got to the 32nd century, but like some people, I started on Andy's side listening to part one after listening to today's episode, came out on Matt's side, understand why Jellico was the way he was, but Jellico did have some dickish moments. Um... Lieutenant Cam writes us, if you've ever worked a civil service job, you would totally take Matt's side here. Yeah, okay, in part one, Jellico is a bit of a dick. Everyone seems to agree on that part. Yeah. <laughs> to everyone, because he has a job to do. In this part, though, Riker is 100% at fault. If the head of, the, of your agency or department changes and suddenly the new guy starts making, in your view, unrealistic or unreasonable requests, you still do the job. You don't deliberately undermine them, as Will does here, in front of everyone. I won't ask you to trade an entire system for one man's life, he says. No, but you will ask your government to admit to an act of war and risk a full-scale conflict in order to save one man from being tortured. Uh-huh, Dude, he will. come on. <laughs> Jellico was 100% correct in leave, relieving Riker of duty and making Data as XO because Data knows uh, if the boss says it, you do it. You damn well just do it. Complain to your uh, about it to your friends That's and what, family later. Oh, uh, you have a great Like the rest break. of us do. Uh, highly unprofessional behavior from old Reiki there. Very uh, Michael Burnham of him. Uh, I think that they mentioned wanna, Michael wanna, Burnham later in these Want to start a full-scale full war just to save one guy? <laughs> uh, go ahead. <laughs> you know what? Burnham had some points. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, let's not get into it. Lieutenant Hannah Silver writes, From memory, wasn't episode one... 
TNG partly about how great a pilot Riker is. He pilots the Enterprise and either connects or separates the saucer section, and everyone's like, wow, look at that shiny, handsome face. But doesn't he not pilot it? Doesn't he just... No, he does it he, manually, I believe. I thought he, like, gave the order. Like, he just he just told the helm what to do, if I no, remember I, correctly, which I might not. Oh, maybe. I, I remember him hold, holding the joysticks, but maybe I'm imagining There's that. There's no I joystick on the Enterprise D. No, I might just be remembering a video game I played. <laughs> well, there is, there is a joystick on the Enterprise E that Riker handles in uh, Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, but I, 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 I'm going back into the way back. Yeah, machine check it here. out. I uh, remember him being at the panel, but maybe I'm wrong. Let's see. Saucer separation, I Console, believe, happens panel. in part one, and then they have to read. Oh, they, yeah, that's as soon as he comes on board. I believe they pick up Riker. In the meantime, I'm. You can read. keep going. Yeah, sure. Uh, Lieutenant Andrew Gibson, Data, in fact, looks like a vampire in current Command Red. Please write that show. I am kind of jealous of this, Hale, because that's a theory I wish I'd come up with, that Data is a vampire. So many pieces fit. Um, yeah, just he's, look at he's, him. he's just telling Chief O'Brien what to do. Chief O'Brien is at the, he's at the helm? helm? Yeah. I don't even remember that. Velocity this to really one half meter per second. Velocity to one half meter per second, and then Chief o and O'Brien does it. This wouldn't even count as being the best pilot, would it? <laughs> this is being the best commander. Pitch angle, negative three degrees. <laughs> it's like, it's like so good yes, math. yeah. So you remember correctly that he? No, I was wrong. Does right. dock the, the, right. the saucer section, but he's just ordering. He's just telling O'Brien what to do. Um, I'm glad we went back. Lieutenant Andrew, I want to see a face-off between Paris and Riker in a race. Some sort of uh, Titan turn situation? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lieutenant Some Andrew sort of Culver nice. and Starburst maneuver? <laughs> That's really what I want to see. <laughs> I want to see Paris face-off with Nick... Uh, Lacarno. 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 Uh, Lieutenant Andrew Nicewander writes, Patrick Stewart could give Pierce Brosnan a real lesson in hurt acting. <laughs> is that, is so that a bond bonding reference? It is. is something you guys talk about. But uh, anytime you watch uh, Brosnan, he does uh, he does a lot of uh, over the top hurt acting. Whenever whenever Bond gets hurt and it's Pierce Brosnan, it's a little <laughs> a little over the top. Gotcha. Uh, would you say he does more than um, I say? I feel like I guess Roger Moore never did any. He just Roger he Moore like, did some. Yeah, he was hurt. We all did, got hurt. Did he act the hurt? I feel like he. Um, uh, I mean, if it hurt him in the moment, sure. But otherwise, but like with the Brosnan, the thing was that he did really. It's very apparent. So if you go back and watch those movies, just look for it. I will. Uh, now we got another voice hail from one of our lieutenants. Uh, it's listed Zachariah. If you want to hit that one. Sure. Uh, did I bring that one in? Let's find out. Uh, I can read the next one in the meantime. No, I have Lieutenant. it right here. Okay. Hey, Andy. Hey, Matt. Uh, this is Zachariah Seville calling in, uh, one of your lieutenants up here from Ottawa, Canada. Just calling in because I don't know if uh, other people, other listeners uh, with OCD have had this issue, but I think it's happened twice now where an Andy's theory that rarely comes up came up and Matt played the wrong closing theme. So for myself and everyone's out, everyone else out there, 
Andy theories are really interesting because he's very smart. Oh, I feel so much better. So much better. Love the show. Thanks, guys. See, I keep, I can't, I can never find it. And that's the other one. I still can't do it. No, technically, it's not an Andy's theory, right? It's so my favorite one. It. I don't know why I don't have it. There it is. Andy's there theories is. are very interesting because he's really smart. I found he it, guys. It. We're not, we're not going to miss that again, Zachariah. I'm sorry about that. Lieutenant James Maynaro. I thought this was an interesting point. Uh, listening to the episode made me think about how many absurdly traumatic things Picard has been through, assimilated and stripped of his free will, mm. living in an entire simulated lifetime, only to discover the civilization and all the people he knew were long extinct, occasionally having to deal with Alexander being on the Enterprise, <laughs> and now tortured by the Cardassians. He must have uh, amazing mental fortitude, or Troy must be an unbelievable counselor, and Beth or not. Uh, P.S. Is there any chance Riker is actually a better pilot than Data? <laughs> that was a really good point, too. <laughs> it probably would have been better to have Data on that ship than Riker. Uh, so you're going to assume <laughs> well, the intuition look, is that It's a important. win-win for Jellico. Right. The job gets done. Yeah, the job gets done or Riker dies. <laughs> it's a win-win for Jellico. <laughs> is that the subtext of that scene? Yeah, Jellico and Jordy. I need a man I don't care about at all on it, that craft. It's Jellico and Jordy, the two people he's come up to blows with uh, the most. Yeah, he's not going to put Data on there. He loves Data. Sure, that's a good point. Um, uh, there's a follow-up to that uh, from Jerry Canavan, who writes uh, on the man Picard has been through some stuff front. This is another episode where it really seems I this was a great point. Like Picard should have been should have permanently been taken off active duty afterwards. Can a person who has been through this experience and been so thoroughly broken be trusted with the most important ship in the fleet, especially when you've got a a true one like Jellico just sitting there? <laughs> uh, ha hashtag Team Matt. Uh, my hottest take on uh, Starfleet is that they should really be evaluating internal security risks a bit more aggressively. Is there any member of the senior staff? Uh, of the Enterprise D who could pass a proper background check. The only one I can think of who is, uh, was never an active threat to the ship is Crusher, uh, and even she faked her medical degree. So <laughs> hashtag Indies Theories. Um, uh, I think this is a really good point. And as soon Andy's as Theories <laughs> are very interesting because he's really smart. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I really, as soon as he walked on the ship, and, and I know they had to have Jellico giving control back to Picard just to make clear that Jellico would have, because who knows. Um, but uh, it seems bizarre that he has just been through all that, and then he's just jumping right back into the captain's chair. I mean, at least with the best of both worlds, there is an episode where he is, they return to Earth, and he clearly goes on shore leave for a little while to sort yeah. of regain his composure. But, um, it is pretty wild to think about the abuse that I mean look it's nowhere nowhere near the abuse that O'Brien takes in DS9 like I think O'Brien gets broken more than Picard ever did uh-huh um so but they still let him be chief O'Brien well he's, it's not as big a, <laughs> a position I disagree everything all right well I don't know I haven't watched DS9 maybe the maybe the chief is the most important member of the parking lot. Uh to Nun writes, uh, this is, addresses your, your earlier point, Matt. Uh, I cannot help but wonder uh, 
uh, that if this was written now, would Riker have just started a mutiny and a war with the Cardassians to get Picard a la Burnham? See? (laughs) You and Matter of One Mind. Uh, That's it. Thank you, Secunda to None. (laughs) Ironically, (laughs) Secunda to None had the same mind as you. All right. Uh, So let's head out to the uh, hallway. Captain, Captain, we are being hailed. Our first hail is from John Chataway, who writes, Hey, Matt and Andy, as a former Air Force officer, I found your debate over Captain Jellico hilarious. Normally, I'm Team Andy when it comes to your debates. Thank you, John. Uh, but I have to side with uh, 100% with Matt on this. Uh, like Matt, I was younger and watched this episode, and I, too, thought Jellico was a jerk. But rewatching it this week as an adult... And as a former military officer, I saw nothing wrong with his actions. Any military personnel will tell you, we are taught from day one that when a superior officer gives you a command, you follow no matter what, unless uh, that order is immoral or illegal. But all Jellicoe wanted to do was run things more efficiently and prepare his crew for potential combat, which just meant more work for Riker and Jordy. Boo-hoo. Uh, <laughs> <being> officers... <laughs> Many officers' job <laughs> is not to be liked. I've had COs just like Jellico, and I can tell you if you get your shit done, they're actually quite, quite pleasant to, to work with. Uh, anyway, thought I'd just chime in. I don't doubt it. And Secunda. By the way, I think that if Riker had been like, you know, they're fictional characters, of course, whatever. But I think if Riker had, if Riker. <laughs> we say that with every point we make? <laughs> I, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, I think about it. When I'm when I when I start speaking about Star Trek, people like they're real. My brain just goes, "But Matt, that's not what, how they wrote it." But right. let's hypothetically say if Riker had just honestly had just followed the orders, yeah, Jellico, I think the conversation that Jellico has with Picard in Ten Forward would be very different. And then when Picard goes to the ready room. Uh, to ask for more surveillance on the uh, on on Seltras three, yeah, I bet Jellico would have been like that. Riker, he's pretty good. It I, is. I gave him I gave him some tough orders, and he just he just followed him, put his head down. And I did don't. It. I totally don't disagree with you. I think that is what would happen, and it is it is interesting. I mentioned this the it, before, and other people have mentioned the comparison to Shelby, that he basically does have the same problem with Shelby that he is. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why I find so it the is writing. I find the writing to be, in that sense, I think it's a little. It's it's just servicing the story. Riker is just servicing the story there. Or can we assume something else is going on with Riker? Does it have to do? Somebody, somebody, a few people had mentioned the thought of uh, is Riker bent out of shape because he's been passed over here. I think it probably well, has more to do with his yeah. attachment to Picard, but. I think there is a little bit of that for sure. Uh, it's the first thing he says to Nikayev or Nachayev. Well, it's also like the first question I think the audience would have should have asked also. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I think there could be some of that in there. Lieutenant, oh, actually, it's not a lieutenant. It's just a regular civilian, a crewman, Todd Kehoe, uh, writes us, uh, Hello, Matt and Andy. Uh, had to write in after hearing you two cheerfully disagree over Jellico in the first half of Chain of Command. As usual, you're both kind of right. Uh, but I also <laughs> I wonder if we both would agree that we're usually both kind of right. But I also think you both overlooked the biggest flaw in Jellico's orders. First off, Matt is 100% correct to say Riker's job is to carry out his captain's orders. 
nothing uh, Jellico requested was morally questionable against Federation or against Federation law. Um, plus, most of what Jellico wanted was smart, though I agree with Andy that the four-shift plan is weirdly disruptive on the eve of a major conflict. But even if that order is debatable, there is one you guys skated over that's utterly undefensible. Why would Jellico shift any engineering staff to security? Cardassians don't attack like Klingons, i.e. knock out your shields and board the ship with mechleths out. The battle would have been won and lost to the ship's uh, systems functioning while under attack. And that's an engineering issue, not a security one. Fewer engineers means fewer hands working on those damage control systems that Jellico wanted tracked in the first place. Seems counterproductive and even laughable as I'm now picturing Reg Barkley at Tactical trying to fire a tube torpedo. <laughs> 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 it's hilarious. Um, anyway, love the podcast, enjoy your arguments, and a big hand for Ron Moore for writing a complex and interesting character who wasn't all one thing or the other. Todd Kehoe, a.k.a. the face group bracket guy. Uh, oh, he's he does these amazing uh, head-to-heads of like best villain and, and various things. So check out the face group. There's some great... Um, interesting things of uh, some, uh, some all Mar- Star some Trek, Trek March, history. March Madness type brackets. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, but uh, that is funny. What you're saying, but at that point, I'm I'm curious if they even knew how Cardassians fought. You know what I mean? Like in the writers' room, I mean, not Jellico. They had decided it yet. Yeah. You're saying, but yeah. to his point, yes, it is very silly. But wouldn't if you were going into any major full-scale war wouldn't you like well i mean it does depend you you, maybe you want more security personnel also i feel like the i think the ops ops division i think they have trained they're trained in all like they're trained in operations they're trained in engineering and they're trained in security i assume Uh because they're all in the same division so they can all do everybody else's job yeah that being said i don't know that Worf would be a particularly great engineer. No, I doubt it. <laughs> Although he did make a shield in the, in the old in the ancient West. That's true. He does pull apart a communicator and power it and, and, <laughs> and make a shield. That's yeah. pretty good. I mean, so that does show some technical prowess. Um, and then we have a couple of prime correctives. It's been a while since we've had some prime correctives. That means I've been a hundred percent right the entire time. Ironically, they're both about Devanani Rawl. <laughs> Matt, swarthy means dark of complexion. Oh wait, not that's attractive. is that this one? That's it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. Matt, swarthy means dark of complexion, not attractive. Hang on. That that's subjective. <laughs> what if I think that dark complexion is very attractive? I will that's continue fair. the voicemail. Devanani Rao may also be dark of complexion, but I know that's not how you meant it. I love you guys. Bye. Mm, I mean, look, when mm. I say swarthy, I, I, I think... I think... Uh, Handsome and... Yeah, I think... Uh, Pe- Pepe Le Pew is what I think. Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> and he's black. He's a skunk. So, you're welcome. I'm not. I'm not kidding. I'm not waiting into this area. I'm just going to go on to the next one. <laughs> I'll let you sit there on your own, um, Lieutenant. Oh, I keep. I add a Lieutenant. Maybe 
yeah, the wiper, isn't it? That's what I meant to hit. Okay. Oh, I see. Okay. Next one. Uh, Anthony Wiper writes us, Hey guys, you referenced Devanani Rall as being genetically uh, the genetically enhanced guy. I assume you meant from uh, the Masterpiece Society. He was, in fact, as I'm sure Matt does know, the negotiator from the price sent to secure the Barzun wor- wormhole, a betazoid, not in any way enhanced that I'm aware of. Love the show, and please, please, please watch and discuss Crimson Tide. I would love to hear you guys debate <laughs> that. <laughs> it could easily be the longest podcast ever, Tony. I'd rather uh, do the Hat for Red October, but... Uh, yeah, I'll do either. Uh, that that Crimson Tide thing is. I was like, huh? Why Crimson? Oh, I was like, oh, <laughs> it's it's a commander fighting with his XL, uh, with his uh, number one. I have lost the Devonani Raw sound clip, and it's bumming me out. Where did it go? Oh, yeah, it was my favorite I, oh, new I, clip. Oh, I found if it. If you're looking, thing I, I dropped a Devin bunch. Ani Rao. There you go. <laughs> and I'm Devonani Rao. <laughs> Still funny. Uh, that's it for the hails. If you'd like to send a hail, you can send it to sdtncpod at gmail.com. You can tweet uh, or Instagram uh, Matt at, at Matt Myra. Uh, you can Instagram me at, at Andrew Secunda and tweet me at Secunda. For voice hails, it's 816 Trek TNC. And uh, if you'd like to get into our Priority One messages, join the Patreon. That is the hails. <laughs> And it's time to talk about the episode. We crossed the many doors, the many places. Your hails made us think of all your faces. Sit comfortably in your little Borg node. Let's talk about this week's episode. All right, it's time to talk about Ship in a Bottle, which aired the week of January 25th, 1993. Andy, what was going on in the world? Well, it should come as no surprise, Matt, that the number one song was still I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, which I think by the end of this run may be our theme. <laughs> um, the number one song in the UK was also I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. The number one movie in America was Aladdin. Uh, the number one book, Dolores Claiborne by Stephen King. Uh, number one TV show that week, the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> the Super Bowl. <laughs> the Super Bowl. And I'm Devanani uh, Rall. <laughs> and I'm Devanani Rall. Uh, does that week, oh, Andre the Giant and Thurgood Marshall. Uh, events, Bill Clinton is sworn in as the 42nd president. does that for the news it's time to find out something a little more important than what was going on in the world it's what was going on with the chairman of the board that's right everybody it's not only your uh promo code for i love chocograms.com it's everybody's favorite segment frank sinatra come on it's time for that segment everybody hates come on Andy, what was the chairman of the board doing in January of 93? Well, Matt, after enjoying a brief Christmas break, Frank was back in concert again. Can't keep old blue eyes down. Earlier in the month, he had been uh, the special draw in Cerritos, California, 
as the oh new Cerritos at the new Cerritos Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, oh, I've oh, been sorry. There. As that opened its doors for the first time with a five-night run. Uh, this week, he was ready to start another five-night engagement back in Vegas <laughs> at the Desert Inn. I know, it's insane. Frank. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. I mean, that is the chocogram of voices. That is silky smooth and just delicious. Thank really you, Frank. Is. All right, so let You're me... welcome, baby. <laughs> let me re- oh, my God, Frank's here. <laughs> Hi, Frank. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, Andy's lost uh, everything. He can't hear anything I'm saying. What's happening? Hello? I think you've, you've clicked in again now. Oh. I, I was doing a whole thing where I was excited that Frank Sinatra had joined us. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him I asked him what he thought about our segment and it looked it like it sounds like he got a lot of sound problems it, it really it was it was very it was shocking because I was just like oh does Andy not want to go down this little world for this game <laughs> I think really because it was I like be, I was be like, the worst improviser ever if I had initiated <laughs> that bit that aggressively and then was like alright come on let's move on <laughs> I was like, oh, this is, I've said the worst thing ever. I asked Frank Sinatra <laughs> how it was going. Jesus uh, Christ, Matt. <laughs> the bit is done. <laughs> oh. uh, no, you, completely, you completely froze, and I was like, uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, all right. It's time to read from Larry Nemechek's Star Trek The Next Generation uh, Companion Revised Edition. Kindle version. This is uh, Ship in a Bottle, directed by Alexander Singer and written by Rene Achevaria. After a glitch turns up in Data and LaForge's Sherlock Holmes roleplay holodeck game, Barkley, while making repairs, comes across a stored file of Holmes's fictional arch-villain, Professor Moriarty, accidentally given consciousness and intelligence four years earlier. Incensed that he had been forgotten, Moriarty astounds the naysaying officers when he walks off the holodeck alive and whole. While the crew struggles to understand the demands that his he demands that his love, Countess Regina Bartholomew, be made alive as well. Uh, taking control of the ship uh, sorry, taking control of the ship's computer, Picard agrees uh, from Picard until he agrees to do it. Amid the effort made more dire by the ship's dangerous proximity to two colliding gas planets, uh Sorry. Data realizes that he and Picard are trapped in a holodeck simulation themselves that Moriarty devised. The professor isn't real, but he does have computer lockout on the ship and access to their program. To outwit him, the officers create their own false reality and have Moriarty and the Countess beamed into, ostensibly giving them, a shuttlecraft in return for releasing the ship's control. Once launched, Moriarty returns control to Picard, and the two lovers are allowed to roam free forever in their own reality within a protected file. Whew. I was like that. I was reading and trying to adjust some audio stuff on this end, so it really wow, was. Impressive. It was like very juggly of me. You're very I was, data. I was juggling, guys. Uh, but yeah, Andy, it's it's your long-awaited return to Moriarty. I'm so excited. I was so happy to see him. Uh, and That's what my spinoff will be. <laughs> well, so 
Here's 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 the thing we've always been asking, right? It's in it's very, it's right here. After three years, it turned out that a perceived taboo in doing more Sherlock Holmes stories, first laid down in season three, see the defector, following the first Moriarty story a year earlier, had been a mistake. And this is a quote. Apparently, the Arthur Conan Doyle estate was irritated with Paramount because of young Sherlock Holmes, and they said no more ever. Well, as in many walks of life, wow. it was never say never again. To my amazement, they were willing to give us the characters for a very reasonable license fee. That's that's such classic, like, uh, bureaucratic kind of legal stuff interfering with creative process. Because generally speaking, um, the the legal teams at the studios are just like, their their number one job is just avoid trouble. So they don't care about the nitty-gritty of, oh, they just meant this product, not this product. So they're just going to go like, yeah, no, no Sherlock Holmes in general. And as a result, they lost out on a great character having more recurring appearances. Well, I mean, it's 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 simply, it's interesting to me that this the estate of Arthur Conan Doyle still holds control over the characters. I that thought, is, yeah, I figured that would be I thought it was public domain. domain by now, and I'm fascinated that it isn't. So that's your answer on the license fee. We're always talking about character payment. And I guess this oh, version yeah. of Moriarty still is Conan is Doyle. It? Oh, interesting. Is it is it a character payment? If it's based on on a character like that from a book. Well, you have to license the character, right, to use it. So there is, I assume yeah. there is no character payment for the writer. Right. Interesting. Because it's a licensed thing. Wow, fascinating. It is. I, I was fascinated by that. I was very excited last week when I, when I, when I glanced across that paragraph. And uh, it's time, everybody, to hear what I've been talking about for probably two years the worst british accent in the history of the holodeck and i and i and i have a question and that is is this a is this lavar doing what he thinks jordy would do <laughs> and i and it might be it was then i began to suspect that your brother did not die by his own hand that he was in fact murdered murdered <laughs> good lord but holmes the vial of poison found in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really a good question. It is really worth it. Yeah. Andy Sackfent Corner. Animo Andy, tú puedes. It's gonna be shit. Andy Rate, Jordy's accent. That's a that's a nine right there. He <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> to my ear, that guy nailed it. <laughs> How many Andy's does this episode get? That's a nine, nine Andy's. <laughs> nine Andy's. Wow. That was the first clue, Watson. The vial contains strychnine. As you well know, induces violent muscular spasms. It is difficult to imagine that someone in the throes of so gruesome a death could have held on to so delicate a container without shattering it. You don't mean. Exactly. The vial was placed in his hand after he died. Then what was the cause of death? The cigar, of course. What was? <laughs> cigar. Uh, anyway. So I got, a lot of, I got a lot of things right off the bat about this episode. Go ahead. Issue number one, there's no concern going back to this program that almost destroyed the ship and killed Dr. Pulaski. <laughs> 
Like, there's no, like, yeah, let him keep doing Sherlock Holmes. Obviously uh, not, because Dr. Pulaski is not on the ship anymore. Well, I understand that. But it, like, almost killed a crew member. Like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, like yeah. this. But she's not there, so they think it's fine. <laughs> See? <laughs> it's all tied to yeah, whether yeah. Dr. Pulaski will be safe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. That that right off the bat is just like, what, how, I, he's just allowed to go back in and do this holodeck program again? And then the fact that it, you could say, well, like, um,. Um, yeah, but they fixed the problem. But it's like, no, they didn't. Clearly. Well, they did. Like he, that the Moriarty file is in, is in protected memory, right? Uh, Not accessible right. unless you try to access it. Yeah. <laughs> so I assume they're like, well, that that thread is over. Uh, luckily, we can continue to use this program sans Moriarty. Right. Well, that of course goes to the Barkley part of it, which is left-handed individual. Go ahead. Well, I guess we're going to get to it in a second, but. Yeah. Uh, but Barkley doesn't. It's a, doesn't protected memory mean? Hey, you should check this out. <laughs> you shouldn't just open it. <laughs> well, I think Barkley is such a holodeck whiz. He doesn't care. Uh huh. Computer. In program and save. Sounds like they're going oh, to the president's Ridge. I'm sorry, Commander. I'm just on my way to the holodeck. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes Program 3A has demonstrated some very curious anomalies. There must have been a glitch in the Matrix diodes, but I'll track it down. Don't worry. Thanks, Red. See you later. I like how they went to the trouble of replicating those clothes and then wore them into the holodeck. It's always funny oh, yeah. to me when people, like, dress up for the holodeck. Computer, run a diagnostic on all Sherlock Holmes files. Display any anomalous programming sequences. Diagnostic complete. All files conform to specified parameters except those contained in protected memory. Protected memory? All right, display those sequences. Computer, unlock this sequence and run the program. Who are you? Professor James Moriarty. Moriarty, oh, that's Sherlock Holmes's arch enemy. Are you left or right-handed? Left-handed. Would you mind very much telling me? No problem there. Where is Captain Picard? Is he still captain of this vessel? How would, how do you know the captain? You don't know anything about what happened, do you? I have been stored in memory for God knows how long, and no one has given me a second thought. You know, you know what you are. A holodeck character, a fictional man. Yes, yes, I know all about your marvelous inventions. I was created as a plaything so that your commander Data could masquerade as Sherlock Holmes. But they made me too well, and I became more than a character in a story. I became self-aware. I am alive. Uh, so it's interesting that the idea of bringing Barkley in, like it's it's smart for a couple of reasons. Yeah. You get the benefit of getting to restack Moriarty because uh -huh. he was not around when that happened. Uh. And you also get the double benefit of having Schultz back on. 
I totally agree. And someone who's a holodeck maven. However, it's, it's kind of it like, does feel like if if a character had become sentient, that someone who's as obsessed with the holodeck as Barkley might have known about it, even if he wasn't around. Yeah, but I wonder if he if if it was like the uh, if if his holodeck obsession started here on the Enterprise, or if it was like long going, or. I don't know. What do you think, listeners? Do you think that Holodeck Barkley was always Holodeck Barkley, or do you think that... Oh, that's a good question. Well, it feels like, the, at least the way they presented it at the beginning of the show, like the Holodeck is somewhat unique. Right. Like, like, the, like super advanced on the Galaxy-class ship. So I feel like yeah. he kind of fell in love with it on the Enterprise. I think you're right. I think he, Well, he found his escape. He found his true love. Um, when you get a chance, send me a new necklace. It's already there. Oh, it is. It is. I'm sorry. It's I okay. And I, I didn't see it. That's because it didn't come until probably right before you asked again. I apologize. Don't apologize. You don't have to apologize. Let's see if this works. All right. Yeah, there you go. It's working. Yay. Uh, well, it looks looks like about uh, four years. It seemed longer. What are you talking about? You can't possibly ha- have been aware of the passage of time. But I was. Brief, terrifying periods of consciousness. Disembodied, without substance. I don't see how that could be possible. Maybe there was a fragmentation of the protected memory circuits. Call it what you will. All I know is that despite Picard's promise, he's done nothing just left me to go quietly mad. He would not have forgotten his promise. The captain would not do that. I'll tell you who definitely wouldn't do that. Jellico. Jellico would remember his promise. <laughs> I'd like to I talk to him. I think Jellico definitely would have blown well, off the I, holodeck. I can ask, ask him to meet me in the sitting room at Baker Street. <laughs> Jellico would have ejected the holodeck, the hologram into space. <laughs> yeah, he's like, all right, uh, shut down the whole holodeck. Nobody ever go in there again. I want to convert the holodeck into a security room. <laughs> and I want four shifts in there. <laughs> I want seven shifts in the holodeck at all times. Celestial event. The collision of two planets. Oh, by the way, great Since teaser. Both planets that are... he, can, he can control turning himself back on. Yeah. Gas giants. Neither possesses a solid surface. Their atmospheres, however, will come into contact in approximately 17 hours, nine minutes. Their collision causes a self-sustaining fusion reaction. This is what we are likely to see. I drew this last Earth night. A new star. <laughs> the Enterprise will hold position until the gravitational instability subsides and we can get in for a closer look. Now, I want triple redundancy on all of the sensor arrays. We'll probably never get another chance to see something like this. I don't want to miss anything. Okay? You can see a tiny me on the chart that I've drawn. <laughs> Commander, you'll never I'm giving a thumbs what up. happened while I was working on your program <laughs> in the holiday. <laughs> Professor Moriarty appeared. Out of nowhere. Uh, no, you called him up. You... It's not out of nowhere, Reg. <laughs> let's, let's really be honest. It was like magic. You said to uh, unlock it and run this program because I need to see what hand he catches this tool with. What? And he wants to talk to the captain. Computer, begin Sherlock Holmes program 3A and place us in the drawing room. In- so at that point... There, there. That that was real, Jordy. Right. 
Uh, so it's it's Jordy, uh, sorry, it's it's Reg, Data, and Picard that are the only non-holodeck, right, people from from the point they walk into the door f- forward. Okay. One thing you got to say, really great duplication of these people's personalities by the computer. <laughs> I mean, look, the holodeck is really just terrific at everything except n- not breaking because it seems to break almost every time we see it. <laughs> it's got a lot of computer. It's got a lot of it's stuff that it's, it's calculating to make <laughs> everything look real. If you'd missed my company, I should think you'd have summoned me before now. I assure you, we have not forgotten you. We spent time investigating how you became self-aware. Frankly, it still remains a mystery. It is also irrelevant. What concerns me is finding a way to leave the holodeck. We have been wrestling with that Wait problem. a second, I just thought of something. This, the strangest thing about this episode is the fact that at some point, yeah. Picard takes off this uniform and puts on his other uniform which theoretically is a hologram uniform. So when he officially ends program, he should be shirtless. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been a great touch. Unfortunately, without any success. But we have turned our findings over to Starfleet's most experienced theoretical scientists. And what did your finest minds come up with? Unfortunately, they have not arrived at a solution either. I see. Professor, I am concerned to learn that you experience the passage of time while you were stored in the computer memory I can assure you we had no idea that would be the case enough of this I no longer believe anything you say professor I understand your frustration do you really when this is over you will walk out of this room to the real world and your own concerns and leave me here trapped in a world I know to be nothing but illusion I cannot bear that I must leave that is not possible. You cannot exist outside this room. Are you certain of that? Computer, exit. Although objects appear solid on the holodeck, in the real world, they have no substance. I like to imagine that Picard spent hours on the holodeck prior to this throwing stuff out to watch it disappear. Look at it. Now look at the goldfish bowl. If my will is strong enough, perhaps I can exist outside this room. Perhaps I can walk into your world right now. Professor, I ask you to believe me. If you step out of that door, you will cease to exist. If I am nothing more than a computer simulation, then very little will have been lost. But if I am right, Mind over matter. Cogito ergo sum. That's pretty great. I think. Therefore, I am. I wish they had held on the scene a little longer so Picard could go, we still know Latin. Yes, we know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um... I really, I don't know. I have a lot of, I have a lot of perspectives on Picard in this episode. But number one is, I really like how uh, Patrick Stewart plays this from the moment they're about to go into the holodeck because he seems 
messed up about it. He seems like this is going to be bad. This is going to be really uncomfortable. I'm upset. Yeah. Because he knows he's going to face this guy that he did screw. He like. Oh, he, I think it's he the didn't other try way. as hard as he could have. He clearly wasn't a priority, and that was a living being he left in there. Uh, or I, a conscious being, if not a living being. I think being. that it's. I think that he's playing it like you're saying, but I think that it's more guilt for, not for fucking him over, but for the rea- the realization that perhaps he did have consciousness while he was stored in the computer, because he never would have done that. I mean, but he was. Had he he looked. It's not like he he's, looked, It's not like he's like. It's not like he's worried about. Uh, Moriarty being mad at him or angry or going to fuck up the ship more. I think he's more worried about the moral implication of leaving a being uh, in some kind of a fucked up prison when he did. I not, think that he, he did that does disturb that. him when he hears it. But I think he was already upset before he goes in there. And I think the reason is Barkley fucked he, up. I, I think the reason is that he feels guilty. No, I think and the I reason think is Barkley part- fucked up. Part of the and also I disagree with you that he uh, that he doesn't that it's not about what he worries about what Moriarty's going to do because one of the first things he does when he establishes that he's alive and on the actual Enterprise when he goes into Ten Forward is say hey just so you know you can't be Moriarty out here he it's very much at the forefront of his mind and I think it factored in to why he didn't live up to his word with Moriarty. This is one of the episodes where I feel like I'm I question Picard's motives more than almost any other episode I've seen. This is not at all anything I've ever thought about nor imbued the episode with. This is the farthest from the angle I thought you would be taking on this episode. I'm shocked and what, what you, you have a problem do? deep in your psyche. <laughs> He, he look i'm not saying it's not necessarily a reasonable fear like it's moriarty he's been programmed to be moriarty he's acted uh in a more reasonable logical way so i mean but like look, what if you should be giving him all the slack he needs to to well, to be not be moriarty but i think you, he's what would as you someone say? who is an is someone with with his literate background i think he's afraid of moriarty uh I don't disagree with that. Um, I mean, it's it's why there's 700 security officers around him. But, I mean, this is also someone who has taken control of a ship before and threatened to kill everybody. That's true. But and he, that, was he, before, that was before he was trapped in some sort of void for four years. Well, issue number one is, yes, I agree. And so that means that Picard is nervous about him which is why he hasn't worked as hard as he should have to to get him out into the real world but the other thing i think is he as an act of faith moriarty gave control of the ship back to him moriarty gave himself over in in a gesture of trust to picard and picard did not live up to that trust in my opinion yeah but moriarty was never going you want to say that there's no way that they could have gotten him out? Like the, the Voyager, yes, there is gets, no way. Gets, there is no way. Gets the out. EMH, uh, the mobile emitter, and they're cut off from the rest of Starfleet. That's the mobile emitter they get from an advanced fucking planet that has a mobile emitter that is not no. Starfleet technology. I didn't remember that. 
<laughs> Nonetheless, all the minds at Starfleet could have figured out a way to get this guy off. Um, but why? <laughs> you know I, what I'm saying? To that point, though, I mean, it's like, it, why? I don't, I don't know why you would. Uh... He seems upset before he even goes in there, and I think he's upset because he's like, oh, boy, this is gonna be awkward because I didn't do as much as I should have. Uh, but he says also there was those cut lines from the previous episode that sort of what lines don't you remember there were cut there was a cut scene we stumbled upon where where Picard is like you know let me see if I can find it I don't because it was a lot it was like three years ago it was season two it was three years ago in any century his DNA is a little unusual, but all the major systems are there and functioning normally. As far as I can tell, there's no evidence that his molecules are losing any cohesion. He seemed to be as immutable as ordinary matter. Well, Professor, my crew will continue to investigate, but for now, it would seem that you have accomplished a miracle. The question is, now that you're here, what do we do with you? I ask only that I be allowed to explore this new world. Your vessel, for instance. What sea does she sail? Might we go above deck? Weather permitting, of course. Professor, I think there are some things of which you should be made aware. Uh, they should have just let him go above deck. <laughs> you mean created a holiday? Or just that's how they would have gotten rid of him? Yeah. Or he's a hol just holodeck a creation? Yeah. <laughs> What do you think of this old crewman? This uh, extra who's, uh, I mean, what is he, an ensign or no? I mean, oh, yeah, that guy's oh been, in, been in the game for a long time. He's Command maybe, Red. Maybe he joined Starfleet after his retirement from the private sector. And he's Just like, I'm going to go action. through the academy and uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go on the best ship possible. And he's an ensign. <laughs> That's a that's a lot of face time to give an extra. It's true. Uh, that feels like he won a contest. <laughs> <laughs> My God, we're adrift in the heavens. No, not adrift. The Enterprise is a starship capable of traveling through space. Extraordinary. Are we far from Earth? What is the range of this ship? What means of locomotion does it use? <sighs> There's so much for me to learn. I hardly know where to start. I can give you books that will help. Good, good. I, I want to start making plans. Determine what I'm going to do with my life. I hope you will plan on remaining on board for a while. There is still much that we need to understand about what has happened to you. Does it really matter? The point is, I'm here. And I'm eager to get on with life. Professor, I feel it necessary to point out that criminal behavior is as unacceptable in the 24th century as it was in the 19th, and very much harder to get away with. Don't worry, Captain. My past is nothing but a fiction. The scribblings of an Englishman dead now for four centuries. I hope to leave his books on the shelf, as it were. That is... Um. I wonder yes. I wonder if the the desktop holodeck version of Moriarty ever really went straight. <laughs> what what do you mean the desktop like version? Like the ver the version at the end that they Oh, oh, I see. 
You mean like once he was out in what he thought yeah. was the real world, did he just does revert he go to straight? being Moriarty? I bet he does not. Well, it's hard to say because because he he's reacting to the fact like he, he like I say, he did the honorable thing. He gave himself up and put his trust in Picard. It's only when his perspective, Picard didn't live up to that trust that he reverts to Moriarty like tactics. So who knows? You know, when he's out in the and frankly, even when he puts himself in the I think he gives up at the end, he gives up control of the ship before they're out. So theoretically also it feels like it's a no, he it's an act of faith. He doesn't. Well he knows that the that the Enterprise could just blow him out of the sky or out of the stars. But do you really think that the Enterprise is going to blow them out like his interactions with everybody on the ship, I don't feel like he thinks that they would blow him out of the sky. He might have thought that they would they would beam him back in and and just never for solidify what him purpose because they, they they make it clear that they don't really care what he does just get off just release control of the ship like but they also make clear that they don't he's free to roam about here picard is saying to him just stay for a little while but you're free to go also don't be a criminal because it's very hard to do here i don't want you to end up in prison uh but I thought he's more of what he's saying is hang around here until we figure out what's going on. Where the subtext to me is you're you're Moriarty. I don't uh, want you going out in the no, universe. That doesn't. Well, that's not it for me. I mean, you're entitled to feel like that's what it is for you. Because, but for me, it always was just like you are totally your your life. Our our fucking mission is to seek out new life. You are a new life form. Uh-huh. You have consciousness. You are our mission. We would well, like to saying... study you. We would like to study you a little bit more, but you're free to go. And he is. Like, he's free to roam about the ship and do whatever the fuck he feels like doing. The problem is he decides to hold these three captive in order to get them to figure out how to actually make him free. And... Also, he's like you. You have to also make my my the love of my life free as well. Like, I mean, I don't know. I'm just what? What does it matter? It just feels like he's free to go. I I don't feel like I get that vibe from Picard at all. I feel like his whole his whole tone is. Yes, we're going to help you. Just hang around here so we can study they don't you need to help what the crap is going on. No, he says, I hope you consider staying for a little while. I feel like that's him being a diplomat. And I think the fact that when, as the screws turn on him, he that I think it's evidence that Picard then you know brings the hammer down on him and figures out a way to shut him down. And I think that's before... The screws um, turn on him. Picard like shuts the, him down. When he's you asking for this, so dark. When he's when he's You're so dark. Lady, uh, I'm I'm reacting to what I'm seeing on screen. And as a matter of fact, so let me read you. Wildly different than I ever. This episode I've been watching since I was ten years old, and I've never put any of this into it. It's wild. Let me uh, let me read you uh, from the this original cut scene. But this doesn't from, have anything to do with this what do you mean this story is not written by any of the same writers uh-huh Ma- fucking uh maurice hurley is no longer on the show uh-huh 
Let me read this to you. In Maurice uh, Hurley's voice, please. Um, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Why? Because it will undermine what I think is a valid point. Um, data, right up to the end, is after Moriarty fades away. He never knew. Picard, no, no, he didn't. Pulaski, no, no what? Picard, that he could leave the holodeck. Pulaski, but that's not possible. Data, I do not know how, but for Moriarty it was. Pulaski, then you lied when you told him you couldn't, he couldn't leave the holodeck. Data said, no, what the captain said was that we do not know how to convert holodeck matter into a more permanent form, which is true. Okay. Even after we review this program, okay. we still may not be able to have the answer. That Doctor, is, Picard that is, says, doctor, even with all of his assurances, that character was still Professor Moriarty. I will need to know a lot more about him before I allow him to lose uh, loose on my ship. He has, after all, made his reputation through cunning and deceit. Pulaski, but how do you know he could leave the holodeck? Uh, Picard, Data. And then he shows the drawing. So okay. it was pretty clearly in the script. And I understand they pulled it out because it made Picard look like the monster that I feel like they're implying he is in this. No, episode. that would just that would just the implications for the holodeck going forward would be insane. That's got to be that. Well, also for time. But like that is not at all canon. Well, it was cut I mean, for a reason. I think it was cut. Because it it casts, uh, I think casts a I would argue on, on Picard's character. I would argue it was more cut for the implications to the holodeck going forward, and I that don't. is a can of worms they did not want to open. I don't think so, I, and I vaguely remember that there might have been evidence of that it was more about Picard, but I guess both things could be valid. But because, in any event, because that's it not, certainly was. It certainly was in someone's head exactly what I'm saying now, which is Picard doesn't want Moriarty out in the world because he knows who Moriarty is. However, Moriarty in this incarnation is a thinking being that theoretically could rise above his fictional uh, programming. And uh, so that's where Picard's in a pickle. I'm not saying he's not in a pickle, but I find it weird that he never... I find it weird yeah. that Moriarty never tried to actually walk off the holodeck. What do you mean? When? He never tries to walk off the holodeck then. He never walks off the holodeck. He's well, never off he, the holodeck. He believed what Picard is telling him, which is he wasn't No, 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 but he's never... Uh, <laughs> right. Because that's Picard's understanding and everyone's understanding. Like, you agree that... The because that was cut out of that episode, yeah. There's no reason to believe that Moriarty could walk out. Correct. And Picard has no reason to believe that he could walk out. Well, and I think when Picard, for me, what I always interpret as when he says, "I don't walk out because look what happens," like I think he's trying to save Moriarty from being torn to shreds. The last thing that they say, Data, so how do you know he could leave the holodeck? Data removes, reaches into his pocket. And holds the drawing that he had, yeah, which should yeah. not be able to leave the holodeck. Now, does it leave the holodeck? I don't remember. It does. He brings so, it to the engineering. So, so then doesn't that imply that that, that piece of paper, That piece of paper could leave the holodeck? Look, the dialogue even here is like... The, no, no, the no. piece of paper was created as part of the holodeck illusion. If it could leave the holodeck, so too could Moriarty. Right, data. but that is completely not what they ever 
decide to do with the holiday. Do you know what I mean? Like, I guess I'm just saying maybe the hint is there that he could leave the holodeck. But why could the paper leave the holodeck? Look, I don't know. But I'm uh, just saying, if I was in the, do these if, if I was in the writer's room and you were pitching me that this happens, I'd be like, okay, so if Moriarty can leave the holodeck, how come that? Why does the paper get to leave? Is it? Yeah, any, but the is paper it anything? Did leave. Yeah, but I would say, why does the paper get to leave? This I just play along here. All right. <laughs> I'm asking you as you're writing this episode. Yes. What is the implication there? Are you telling me now? That anything we create in the holodeck, we can bring out of the holodeck, and it's and it has physical matter. I'm sure that there's some kind of techno babble or, or anomaly we can hang it on that the same thing that that you know when 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 Moriarty the computer made the adjustment to make Moriarty conscious that possibly it made adjustments to the to the matter in the holodeck too. So what you're saying is that everything in this program could be taken out. Possibly. But why does it the program? Been, why does the program look, start to degrade? We don't know. We I'm don't asking even the writer. Know. I'm in the writers' room here. I understand, and in the writers' room, I'm telling you, we don't even know why. By Moriarty is conscious. It's because they said to the computer, "You got to come up with a uh, someone who can beat data." Uh-huh. Well, maybe part of the adjustment was not just making him conscious, but making everything in the holodeck in that program real. But how would the computer do that? Or make, giving it substance. Well, how would it give him consciousness? They still don't understand that. Well, the consciousness I get because the ship, the you know, the pure processing power of the Enterprise D, like computer cores, everything. It's a leap beyond what he, what the what Starfleet knows to this point in how to create. So, by the same token, couldn't it also take a leap? Well, Andy, in terms I, of I would argue that there they are there is an episode of Star Trek. Yeah. I won't say what show it is or what, where the ship itself gains sentience because yeah. it is a very powerful computer that has been active for a long time. And it it's not the greatest episode of Star Trek, but it's an interesting thought. Uh-huh. So when just watching it as it aired as a kid, that episode to me, it was always the computer was using all of its knowledge to imbue Moriarty, uh-huh. like to say to Moriarty, okay, well, if you need to de- defeat Data, you're going to need uh, X, Y, and Z knowledge. Uh-huh. And here it is. Like, that's all that ever was to me. All right. But I feel like there's clues. You know what about what about Wesley Snowball? That uh, in certain circumstances the computer can. Well, that's just things. that's just inconsistencies in the in the in the is writing it? of the or holiday. is the computer up to something? Does the computer know more than we think? Look, that goes along. This goes along with my theory. The computer's a asshole. Actually, I think it's. Andy's theories <laughs> are very interesting because he's really smart. Actually, it might have been that the uh, Universal Translator is an asshole. I don't remember. Um, ask you to believe me when I say that we do not know how or why you are able to exist off the holodeck. I do. I do said it you. in that cut According scene. to the laws of physics, this is impossible. We would have no idea how to do it again. So when you're watching this, are you just like, you're just like, in your head that happened? The cut scene? I, 
I think what I the reason I go back to the cutscene, I'm not saying it's canon. All I'm saying is the reason I go back to it is to me, Picard is acting weird in this episode. He is acting very suspicious and he's acting well, like Moriarty, of course you gotta be suspicious. But this is what I'm saying. I think he is driven by the fact that this is Moriarty. And it's not really I think he's driven keeping it's not fair because the Picard we know would have given this person who is conscious the benefit of the doubt, the opportunity to rise above his programming. But I believe that he is. I think in these scenes, I think it's illustrated that I he feel is. like even in this, he's saying, I just want to be with the woman I love. And instead of going, all right, we can look into it. But he's kind of not. He's sort of just disputing everything no but again because it is and the first thing he does is take him to the to the holodeck to 10 forward and say hey no acting like moriarty and it's like he wasn't acting like moriarty don't don't you think that he i mean it's just like put yourself in picard's position and let's say that data really loved batman and the joker all of a sudden is fucking real yeah and the joker walks out of the holodeck which Joker? Is it Cesar Romero or is it's it... It's not Cesar uh, Romero because that would be no. too joyful. Uh, <laughs> let's make it uh, Mark Hamill, okay? Uh-huh. Okay, well, that's kind of joyful, too. Yeah, sure. Because it's meant to be there. talking about video game Mark Hamill or uh, Batman the Animated Series. Uh, uh, that more Arkham, you know. <laughs> okay, Arkham. Arkham uh, so that, that, Joker is the, that Joker is on your ship. Sure. Now, well, seemingly... Well, that's a very scary Joker. Seemingly with the ability to exit the ship yeah uh or exit the holodeck rather don't you don't you don't you feel like you'd be also cautious i certainly would but here's my point i'm not picard picard is a much better man than don't you feel like picard would be cautious if data loved batman and all of a sudden mr freeze was walking around although mr freeze is not really that uh he's not inherently (laughs) evil but like the joker like don't you think that even the character of Picard. Uh, here's a, you know, you bring up Mr. Freeze. This is a good point. He wants the Nora. woman he loves. And if it was Mr. Freeze, I bet you Picard would go, we're going to do everything we can to, to revive your wife. But it's not to Picard. This is <laughs> fucking bananas in this. Would you agree that? I mean, I don't I because it's hard to say it to you because you have that scene in your head. And I completely forgot about that scene. Uh, I think I put it out of my head because when we were doing it, it would have been spoilers for you. So I didn't uh-huh. want to say anything about Moriarty walking off the holodeck. Right. Um, but it's interesting to me that you have you have that in your head because I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah. Uh, because it's hor- it's horrible of Picard. Now that's what I'm saying. But look, I'm not but saying like it's conclusive, that, but, but, again, but I think but it's very suspicious how he's acting in this episode. Because that's but not it is what suspicious. Aired. No, I'm not saying that's conclusive. I'm not saying it's conclusive whether Picard is acting like to what percentage he's acting off of that this is Moriarty. But I think we can agree he's acting to some percentage off of the fact that of this is course. Moriarty. And that casts a lot of question on how hard he's been trying to get Moriarty a real life off of the holodeck prior to this, but which is Picard, exactly Moriarty's complaint. What do you expect? Picard to pull up his sleeves, start studying holodecks, and do it himself? No, he sent it to the fucking Federation and the holodeck. I'm sure Zimmerman worked on it. Uh-huh. 
If you if there was a, if there was if it somehow say Jordy or Data or somebody was like trapped on the holodeck and couldn't get off like some some error had happened, you can bet he would have figured that out in a couple of episodes. <laughs> yes, cuz that was a real person. <laughs> not a fictional, not a fictional This is person. exactly my point. He's not treating Moriarty as a real person, even though he has consciousness. But he's and not. that is not Picard. No, no, no. But Jordy's not a supervillain. Hell-bent on, on holding and hostages. And that is my other point. If you're going to say that, then you're saying Picard is not giving him the free will or the chance to rise above his programming as a conscious Because being. at every turn, Moriarty is fucking taking control of the ship and not, holding it hostage. Not at every turn. It was at the end of the episode, he put his trust in Picard, and this is what happened. But Picard can't... So what I'm saying to you is, like, Picard can't solve that problem. So it is, like, Picard should have... What I, from what this episode says... He sent all of this data to the fucking Federation scientists who deal with the holodeck shit. And they also could not come up with an answer. Look, I feel like I've made the points I want to make in this. So uh, we, I feel like we should move on. But uh, We can go to the end of the episode. I don't. It's fine. Here. We don't have to, you don't have to go to the end of the episode. I, but what I'm saying is, like, this is the episode. Like, what else is there to really talk about other than this I'm just giant... The, well, there are other scenes in the episode. I mean, if yeah, you want to sit have to here and, all of them. and continue to to uh, debate it, but I mean, like your the point but that you just said, I feel like I've already said, which is it's I feel like I agree with you. I feel like he, he you would have seen a distinction in how fast it was resolved if it was someone he cared about. Your but, point is, yeah, but, but it's not someone he cares about. It's a holodeck character, and that's my point. Well, it's a holodeck it's a character, conscious not a, not a holodeck person, character. not a person, who right? But it's has a conscious with him being, and not a person that needs to be in the next episode because it's a one-off. <laughs> well, guest now star. you're talking about the writing again, <laughs> like, it's, but it is. What Look, it it's is. not a character. It's, it's not a character it that we, they thought they had the rights to. If it well, <laughs> obviously, I think obviously, well, that's true too. It would have been happened in the third season, by the way. What is interesting to me is even in this, in that first scene before he goes in, you can tell how disturbed Picard is. Yes, and I believe the reason he's disturbed is he didn't do everything that he should have done to get okay Moriarty so you're off putting it. you're you're imputing him with guilt i think for me always the reason he was disturbed was because he was aware of the passage of time and he felt horrible uh about doing that to to somebody regardless like i don't think he's guilty because he didn't try i think he's like oh my god you are aware of the passage of time that's fucking awful I once was hit by a probe and lived 70 years. Well, I can tell you, the first thing he does in 10 forward is tell him, don't be Moriarty now. <laughs> that is not the first thing he does. The first thing he does is show space and say to him, we still don't know how you did this. He takes him to Thanks. sick bay, first of all. Fake sick bay. They scan him to, you know, whatever the fuck, you know. Although it's like, also like, what? How does Moriarty figure that? How does Moriarty know who the doctor is? Like, the tip-off really should have been they go to the hol they go to the sick bay and it's Pulaski. <laughs> well, that was that was the thing. I, I was also it's, it was it's an interesting leap that he was in love with uh, Stephanie Beecham. Beecham, 
um, and not with Pulaski. He was kind of putting heavy moves on Pulaski, and then he's forgotten about her completely in this episode. I don't simply love her, Captain. Oh, wait, so I guess, like, he asks... Uh... Stand it. I was endowed with consciousness four years ago when someone said to the computer, create an opponent with a capacity to outthink data, or words to that effect. Could we not make a similar request on behalf of the Countess? Even if I had reason to believe that it would be successful, I don't think that I could sanction it. Please understand, Professor, that you are, in essence, a new life form, one that we didn't intend to create and that we don't fully understand. And don't now, want the around. ethical implications of deliberately creating another one like you are overwhelming. Is it morally and ethically acceptable to deny the woman I love so that you can put your conscience at ease? Are you saying that you will simply dictate how I am to live my life? I assure you, we will do everything possible to make you comfortable, so long as I accept the terms under which you dole out those comforts. This is really good points. I think he's making. Captain. Uh, on, on, it's very clear that you side completely with Moriarty. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like I know you're not kidding. I I do. Hundred percent clear. I agree. Uh, and it's wild to me. Well, I think I you're locked into your perspective that. on Moriarty, just like Picard you is. My future. No, I don't have a perspective on Moriarty. I just have a perspective on just I guess what these episodes were to me as a child or. Even in, I mean, I watched this episode not maybe two and a half weeks ago, just for the fuck of it, because I wanted to watch it. We created him. It's a great we episode. created her to be the woman he loves. Surely we have some responsibility to them. It's very romantic, but until we know just what it was that walked off the holodeck, I don't think we should be trying it again. <laughs> Even the computer's rendition of Beverly, it's, it's really dead on. There is also no way of knowing if the professor's ability to exist off the holodeck is permanent may be unwise to consider creating a second individual while this uncertainty exists. Agreed. We don't have enough information about this phenomenon to act responsibly. I think we'll hold off on Professor Moriarty's request for now, but continue with your investigation. In the meantime, I have to deal with Professor Moriarty. That evil motherfucker. I feel we must postpone action until we learn more. Yes, you know all about that. I've stayed in the dungeon of your computer for years, waiting for you to learn more. It wasn't until I took matters into my own hands that something got done. Professor, I wonder why you're in so much of a hurry. Is this woman involved with you in some illegal venture? See your what I'm talking about? designed her to be a person of... Yes, you're talking about his suspicions of Moriarty. Yes. Impeccable <laughs> integrity. She would never commit a crime. You must love her very much. The program fashioned her for me to love. But I must admit I would have done so anyway. That's a dumb statement. She is remarkable. My life has not been the same since I met her. I don't simply love her, Captain. I adore her. Then her safety must be very important to you. Give us time to determine what is going on here. That way we can minimize the risks in bringing her to you. This is bullshit. You wouldn't want to lose her because we acted too quickly. He's just coming up with reasons. But by the like, way, but like Data says, Data has no reason to lie. 
But Data says, the same, like, he's like, we have no way of knowing if this is permanent. The photons could just fucking... I understand, but clearly apart. Moriarty, you know, wants to risk it to to get this woman off the thing. But, but what? But, if, uh, yeah. I mean, but also, like, are you willing to be the captain of the Enterprise and to just go ahead and give another holodeck character sure. the ability to defeat Data? Sure, sure. That that I think. But this is what I'm saying. That to me is the subtext. That's where we're in a weird area because Moriarty, even though obviously he's he's already felt like Picard has acted in bad faith and therefore has a Moriarty-like plan. As far as Picard knows, Moriarty has acted in good faith, and he's treating him as though he hasn't. Has acted in good faith. He trusted Picard to try to get him off the holodeck. Okay. And he hasn't really tried. But I don't think that, again, that it, it's, not, it's not on him. Uh-huh. To figure it out, I will say one side issue: he doesn't know how it happened. So uh, they send the data to the scientists, and they can try to figure it out. Uh, I'll say one side issue: uh, Picard should have known that this thing about the other woman was not true because he turned him off, and then, and the last thing he knew, he was interested in Pulaski. <laughs> so he's acting as though he he has met her and had a lot of adventures with her so that would have been before Pulaski so he never mentioned her before and wasn't obsessed with her before well you know what I'm saying there's no time has passed since they turned and now he's saying that time has passed but he wasn't saying that he was in that reality he was just saying he had moments of consciousness yeah so he never would have had time to meet this other woman sort of a hole in his story but wait who don't you trust here what is happening? I'm saying, I'm saying Captain Picard would have seen through this false story. Oh, I think this is a real story. I've always thought this was a real story. You are fucking melting my brain here. What? No, I actually, I, no, I do think, I do think he is in love with her. I'm saying it doesn't fit story-wise because he just prior to this, in terms of his his life, was obsessed with Pulaski or at least interested in Pulaski. So you think that was a harmless flirtation in a in a mass, evil mastermind's way to get what he wants? I don't think so, because at the what? very end, what? At the very end, he is sort of still flirting with her after he's going to be locked away back in the holodeck. I think he's just being charming because that's what Moriarty does. All right, he charms the pants off you. Well, he sure does. He's a charming guy. Here to Captain Picard. Picard here. You join us on the bridge. On my way. I'm not wearing a shirt right now, number one. This is just <laughs> lights. There they are, Captain. How long before they begin to coalesce? Within the next five hours, sir. Mr. Wolf, launch four Class A probes towards the planet. Mm-hmm. Aye, sir. Make it five. <laughs> Probe control is offline. Mr. Wolf. I don't understand. The controls are not responding. Command functions are being rerouted, sir. For what reason? Unknown, sir. Computer, route all command functions to the bridge. Command functions are offline. Reinitialize them on my authorization. Authorization denied. Explain. Picard command codes are no longer valid. What's happening? 
Who's transferred the voice authorization? I have. I'm afraid I had no choice but to take control of your vessel. I must visit Dr. Sung. <laughs> I mean, uh, it also great, inherently great makes plot, sense. by the way. Such a great, like, you know, uh, uh, multi-layered scheme of Moriarty. It's really, really cleverly written. That's, that's Moriarty for you guy who all of a sudden doesn't understand we're on a spaceship but now can reroute command functions well i think that he says things that are generalities to the computer in the same way that they created him where they said just create somebody who can beat data so he says things like computer is there a way where i can gain control of the ship that we're on (laughs) the computer should go like that no (laughs) he's wrong there's less than five hours those two planets there shouldn't be like, but he he strategizes, you know, maybe they say, maybe the computer says, no, but there is a way that you can take control of the holodeck. Well, he, they, so essentially, like, what happens, as far as I can tell from the story, is what happens is Barkley leaves the holodeck, but leaves Moriarty running. Right. And while Moriarty is running, he creates Baker Street and the Enterprise. Right. Uh, so from the get-go, he's planning on doing this. Right. Uh, in an effort to, you know, it's funny because he doesn't, at this point, he still doesn't know if he can leave the holodeck. I think he assumes he, well, yes, yes, correct. Which also makes the scheme very happy. It's also interesting. Last time, I think he found a way to get control of. Yes, by pulling steampunk levers, he got control of the ship. That's right. Um, he pulled a metaphorical lever, uh, but this time, for some reason, he only has control. But it was a holodeck. literal. It was a literal lever. It was a literal lever <laughs> with a metaphorical. <laughs> it might rematerialize with energy. the same molecular cohesion as conventional matter. That's a big leap, Data. I just don't think the transporter is going to accept simulated matter, unless. Unless we could find a way to compensate for the phase variance, if we could modify the pattern enhancers, we just might do it. Well, Professor Moriarty has agreed not to interfere with routine ship operations. So long as he believes that we are acting in good faith, then I don't think we're in immediate danger. Any progress? We were just talking about using the transporter to beam the Countess off the holodeck. But, but like, to Andy's point, why would he believe they're acting in good faith? The Moriarty? Yeah. Why because we... he's all... He's already delayed it and said he didn't want to do it a couple of times. You know, but why would Moriarty believe he's acting? Why would he not interfere? Picard comes well, and says he's not interfering with normal s- ship routine as long as he believes we're acting in good faith. Wait, but what's to, your a- to your point, yeah. Moriarty should not believe that he's acting in good faith at all. Well, I think that's why Moriarty is turning up the heat in terms of messing with the ship. Hmm. Could have gained control of a the deadline ship. has a wonderful way of concentrating the mind. Maybe he's just really into deadlines. Could mm-hmm. be. This isn't even about possibly hurting the ship. Is actually I, I, I have Moriarty Jellico? <laughs> right here. No, because he's only operating on one shift. How curious! Why is that? Well, it, it has to do with, uh, it's nothing you need to worry about, Countess. Are you suggesting that it's beyond my comprehension? It's really very simple. I need to enhance the molecular pattern of this chair so that the transporter can get a better lock on the signal. 
This has to do with taking James and me into the real world. You, you, you know about that? I mean, you understand about the real world. James has explained it to me. It sounds like a grand adventure. There's nothing I love more than voyaging in the unknown. Have you ever been to Africa, Mr. Um? Uh, she was so delightful as the doctor on Sequest. Oh, interesting. Oh, by the way, uh, I, I, I know. I can't believe that uh, we haven't even played the. Secundas claim the fame. I know him from something big. Where do you know Stephanie Beecham from? From the Colbys, the spinoff of Dynasty, which I—they <laughs> were replaying late at night, and for some reason, I got fixated on <laughs> and watched most of Dynasty, and then went and then watched the Colbys because no I was wonder you have trust issues with supervillains. <laughs> Barkley, Lieutenant Reginald Barkley. Uh, no, no, I haven't. I have. When I was seventeen, I went on safari with my uncle. My mother took to her bed in terror. I'd be bitten by tsetse fly. By the way, what always what I always wondered was where the fuck Moriarty was when he comes back in. Yes. <laughs> like, what was he doing? That is, it is super weird. He's got champagne. I guess he was going to get champagne. He hasn't figured out that he could just ask the computer for champagne. <laughs> look at everybody. Love that, like, that Dwight Schultz look where he's, like, really, like, what? Like, are they really... James. <laughs> what do you think that look is? Watch I it. think he's I think he's being a weirdo. <laughs> he's being I think he's I again. think he's fascinated by it. Like these like two genuinely fascinated by these two holodeck characters that have true feelings. Mm-hmm. Right. Well I think that's the reason he goes out like to get the champagne is it's more of a gesture. But would you be content to let her remain a simulation? You you gave her consciousness? Yes. Just as it was given to me. She can so, now defeat Data. So if he did that, yeah, and we have no reason to believe that he didn't do that, uh-huh. but he also thinks he can leave the ship, like leave the holodeck. Uh-huh. Why doesn't he believe that she can leave the holodeck? I think, well, I'm not, he is, he doesn't think he can leave the, he doesn't, well, he, he believes he could leave the holodeck but he doesn't know how to leave the holodeck. Mm. He's trying to trick them into figuring out a way to get him to leave the holodeck, and that's why he creates this ruse with her. But, like, after a point, at, there's got to be a point where, like, he's like he's, well, they'll figure out how to get her off the holodeck, and then that will be the reason, the way I get myself off the holodeck. But there's got to be a point where he sees what's happening, uh-huh. and then is like, oh, they really are working to figure this out. Should I let them go back to the real ship so they actually can figure this out? Or do I just have to keep relaying information to the real ship? <laughs> I think he he doesn't trust that it'll Online. that they'll keep working Reinitialize because them of on his history with Picard. But he knows that he they believe that they're on the ship. Uh-huh. They believe everything that Moriarty has told them. And they yes. are working hard right now. Well, Barkley is. He's the only real one. Data is. Data's running oh. the transporter. Oh, right. Barkley's running the... Th- it's like the people that need to be working on it are working on it. Uh-huh. So... 
it's like not that he doesn't trust them to do it because they're doing it. He doesn't trust them to keep doing it until it's done because so, he's but already like, sensed but then also hesitation. He's, then he starts this, this ticking clock on them where they're going to destroy the ship. Like, just let Did them it. fucking do it. He was, he's trying to motivate them. A deadline, you, you know. You love a deadline. That's true. I don't love you it. That's what his reasoning is. You love Jersey. a Jellico imposed I, deadline. <laughs> I hate deadlines. God, Epsilon 793. Command codes verified. Well, that's it. That should do it. Also, he doesn't have control of the computer until that point. Correct? He doesn't have control. Yes, correct. So it's all been an illusion up till yeah. now. Jordy. Everybody's left-handed here. I love it. <laughs> he was able to leave the holodeck. But your south paws. He never did. Neither did we. None of this is real. It is a simulation. We are still on the holodeck. I love... I don't know why Picard excuses holodeck Jordy from the conversation. <laughs> like, it's very strange. <laughs> he doesn't want a weird holodeck creation interfering. It's... I also love how Jordy plays it like he's confused, like, wait a minute, I'm not well, real? That's as, weird. As Jordy, as the as the computer is so good at doing, he plays them. Yeah. They play it like they're real. Object off the holodeck, yeah. Something that has never been attempted. Since the transporter itself is a simulation, the computer had no real data from which to create the transport logs. Maybe it was just a malfunction in the transporter. Then I saw you working the pad with your left hand. Commander LaForge is right-handed, sir. A similar malfunction occurred in the Sherlock Holmes program I was running before Moriarty first appeared. So they never do fix that left-handed, right-handed problem on the holodeck. Mr. Data, if what you say is true, then this is not Jordy LaForge. You said. What are you guys talking about? Uh, I love how this is how you solve a holodeck problem. You just <laughs> toss a cop edge at the wall. Computer, discontinue program. Data, if you came up to me four Computer seconds exit. earlier, this would all work. appears to have programmed the to accept only his commands. Got a bridge. Riker here. Number one, what is my present location? Engineering? Is something wrong, sir? Why do you know that so quickly? <laughs> you didn't even ask the computer. <laughs> I always know where you are, sir. No, thank you. Picard out. Our combatures must be locked into the simulation. If that had been the real Commander Riker, he would have given my location as Holodeck 3. <laughs> so weirded out by LaForge. Mr. LaForge, <laughs> would you excuse us, please? All right. I feel like you guys are saying mean things about me. I'm going to hide behind this panel. But I'm going to look through it because I have a visor. I can see through this. <laughs> I can read your lips, too. As is Lieutenant Barkley. We entered the holodeck together when we first went to meet Moriarty. And from that point, we have been existing in a holodeck simulation created by Professor Moriarty. I believe that is the case, sir. I have just given the computer my command codes, thinking whispering. I would get control of the ship. You may have inadvertently given Professor Moriarty the means of gaining control over the real Enterprise. Like a real idiot. Since Professor Moriarty never actually left the holodeck, he may demand that Commander Riker help him to do so. How long until the planetary collision? Less than three hours. As long as Moriarty has control of the ship, we are vulnerable. Somehow, I have to find a way of giving him what he wants. 
Um, so, uh, what's what's the next thing you want to watch or see? Let's see. Um. Uh, I mean, my next step is sort of the reveal at the end. Okay. In 25 minutes, holodeck and all. Then I'm sure you'll be motivated to listen to me very, very carefully. I want to talk to you about uncoupling the Heisenberg compensators. Then there are grains of sand. That's nonsense, but go ahead. <laughs> well, he doesn't know that. I wish I could take my books. I will be so lost without them. Well, I'll get you more. Don't worry. I promise you, you'll want for nothing. Riker to Moriarty. So this is evidence that he really is in love with her and that that was a real relationship. Yeah, it always read. It always was a real relationship to me. Yeah, I, no, you were right about that. It was, it was, commander. I don't know I'm what. Just saying, yeah. I don't know why it's so weird for you to think that Moriarty could very much love that woman and also still be very flirty with Pulaski. I don't know. I feel like they played it as though it was sincerely romantic with Pulaski. Like there was a real thing going on there. I don't think they played it like I don't remember he was just manipulating her. I guess we should just watch Elementary Dear Data and start That's over the only at thing season to do. two, episode eight. Sorry, guys. <laughs> as are we. Step into the transport area. <laughs> Look how pissed off Riker is. The Countess Bartholomew. Countess? Commander. You'll forgive me if I skip the formalities considering the circumstances. Ah, yes. I expect you want me to relinquish my hold on your vessel. Please. I'm afraid that won't be possible just yet. We had an agreement. And I intend to honor it. I have no desire to see your vessel destroyed. Just give me one of your shuttlecraft and allow us to leave in peace. We don't have time for this. You release those command codes and we'll talk. I will not release your vessel until I am looking at it through a shuttlecraft window. I know they have windows. I also read that part. <laughs> Everything has been programmed to operate on voice command. You just tell the computer where you want to go. Excellent. I suggest you head for Mellis 2. It's the nearest inhabited planet. When People you portray Riker, I want you to portray him as really pissed off. <laughs> and also... Puffy your hair, please. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I find it very, I don't, I feel like he goes to Mellis too, yeah, to the friendly people, and then finds some sort of scheme <laughs> and gets involved in some sort of scheme in the in we his I mean, this world. Is where we, this is where we part ways. ways. To me, Moriarty is the hero of this episode, and Picard is the That's villain. Insane. <laughs> And at the very end, this this whole segment, uh-huh. he knows the only thing he wants is to live in the real world, and instead he fools him into thinking that he lives in the real world. But it's the, also the only he way to it's the only way to give a, him what in a he matrix-like wants. prison. Yes, Did you it's... side with the robots in the matrix? Yeah, they needed energy. <laughs> <laughs> if they didn't have energy; they wouldn't be robots. It wouldn't work. Come on, Andy. Um. But uh, the, but to me, this always felt like the actual only true way to give Moriarty what he wanted, meaning to give him the Countess and freedom, quote unquote. 
because he is I a mean, holodeck character, a conscious holodeck character, no less. But he is a holodeck character, but he does have consciousness. So you can go back to, a, I'm sure, at least 15 speeches over the history of Star Trek where it's like, we can't have, you can't give us fake freedom. We need real freedom. What? I'm just saying that the freedom he's giving him is fake freedom. It's all an illusion. Yeah, but and I think, but I think that's also because I don't think Moriarty could leave the hall. I don't think Moriarty could ever, in the intention, in the, in the writing of this episode, I don't uh-huh. think they ever intended that Moriarty could actually leave the holodeck. I don't know that they figured it out. I accept that, but I no, do. No, no, I no, do I'm believe saying, that. I'm, what I'm saying is, I, I think when they when Renee Echeverria wrote the episode, when they were breaking the episode, I don't think they ever entertained the thought that Moriarty could actually leave the holodeck. All I can tell you is Barkley comes up with a theory that I don't believe is ever really tested because the way they test it is inside the fake holodeck. And then when they go to do it in the real holodeck, it's a fake holodeck still because Picard won't let him try the real thing. So theoretically, there's an option that they still haven't tried that Barkley came up with. Beaming the with the pattern enhancers, beaming matter through right. the transporter buffer, but the matter Correct. has to come from somewhere. Well, I mean, you're debating whether it actually would work or not, and I don't have an answer for that. All I can tell you is there's an option that they didn't even try because Picard doesn't want to try it. But I. Oh, hang on. We're gonna take a quick pause right here. Don't actually stop your recording. I my postmate is here. <laughs> I was suggesting... I'll leave the part in, by the way, where um, I say I gotta go get my Postmate. Guys, I'm back. (laughs) My tacos tacos have been delivered. What did you get? Yeah, I got... Uh, Just uh, tacos? A couple chicken tacos from Tacos 1986. Oh, oh, that's right. Um, Beverly, go get it, everyone. Um, What I was just theorizing was that they... That there is uh, that there is an option left oh, untried, right? Because the because uh, the pattern enhancers, like the theoretical idea of the pattern enhancers, but the implication there, like, why wouldn't a Ferengi create a holodeck, make gold press latinum, and start beaming that shit off of the holodeck? I mean, maybe they never thought about doing it. Maybe they never pursued it. Okay, and what I was saying was. I don't think that they wrote it with the attitude or idea that that ever would actually, in Star Trek land, work. To beam something off the holodeck, even with a pattern and answer. You might be right. You might be right, but Barkley thinks it might work, and Picard is willing to give it a try. Yeah, but I feel like like between this episode and next week, Barkley tries it with... Maybe not a chair, maybe like, uh, you know, Fair Maiden Troy. With Troy. Our systems came back online a few minutes ago, <laughs> yeah. and the planets are in collision. We're pulling back to a safe distance. We'll join you shortly. I wish Riker had no idea what happened and uh, just thought that Captain Picard was in the holodeck an awful long time. Everything is all right. <laughs> How did you do it, sir? We managed I always wondered what happened, by the way, to that cube 
when the Enterprise got destroyed. To program oh, the good point. Yeah, he probably killed. Well, it was in the saucer. It Moriarty. was theoretically in the crew quarters um, in the saucer section, so maybe it did. Maybe it made it. I feel like Barkley keeps it. Uh, maybe maybe Barkley just yeah he keeps it and he he peeks in on them like a weirdo. Um, the one thing is uh, Picard. It's sort of a good question. It was like, why does Par- Picard bother to discontinue the Riker simulation before walking out into the fake hallway and then discontinuing it again? I am so lost on how many simulations there are at this point. Yeah, there's a Riker simulation where Riker's in there, then he discontinues that, and then he walks out into the hallway, and then he discontinues it again, and they're in the holodeck. <laughs> it's sort of like, well, why did you do that? Oh, it? so when he why ends the program, he's ending the holodeck program he created in the holodeck. Correct. <laughs> and then he can, and then he can, I think that's probably actually the order in which you had to go for that, for that cube to work. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Side the holodeck. I guess this is the explanation right here. How did you do it, sir? We managed to program the holodeck inside the holodeck and use the same ruse that Moriarty used on us. When he was attempting to contact the real bridge, he was, in fact, speaking to a simulation. You mean he never knew he hadn't left the holodeck? In fact, the program is continuing to run even now inside that super weird blocking. A miniature holodeck. (laughs) In a way, Doctor. However, there is no physicality. The program is continuous, but only within the computer's circuitry. As far as Moriarty and the Countess know, they're halfway to Melis too by now. This enhancement module contains enough active memory to provide them with experiences for a lifetime. They will live their lives and never know any difference. In a sense, you did give Moriarty what he wanted. In a sense, but who knows? Our reality may be very much like theirs, and all this might just be an elaborate simulation running inside a little device sitting on someone's table. Surprised he didn't wink at the camera. Well, we have a newborn star to study. <laughs> Mr. Barkley, we'll keep that safe. Aye, sir. So I guess it's it telling how eerie the music well, that's is. that's because they have to do this line. Computer and program. Like, it feels like Barkley does that constantly to make sure that he's not in a holodeck. Sure. Uh, I mean, look, I said it when I was a kid just to make sure. But, uh, yeah, well, look, I guess guess I'm very interested in a couple of things here. First of all, I'm interested in this. I mean, to you, the hero is Moriarty. So who yeah. keeps Moriarty out of danger? <laughs> I mean, Moriarty, it's it's hard to not give him the MVC because he's just, he, he saves his true love. He's like the most heroic person in the episode. He he wins his freedom against the, uh, the oppressive Picard. Um, you know, it's pretty... Uh, pretty hard not to give it to him but he's not a member of the crew so so uh i guess i would give it to uh data because he's the one who uh, that jordy that jordy is left-handed the, uh, reality is <laughs> he figures uh, out that, that the jordy. transport log has no <laughs> log 
Yeah. That is weird. Uh, I think MVC in this episode is uh, definitely not Worf. Does not do a good job. Uh, <laughs> so I also will give it to uh, Lieutenant Commander Data. Uh, here we go. We sit and watch and then we hang and talk. But the podcast isn't over just yet. How many Andy's does this episode get? Andy, uh, last week I predicted... Uh, yeah. That you would give this episode yeah. a rating. Let's see how accurate that was. What yeah. do you give Ship in a Bottle? Um, I don't remember what you said, uh, but uh, uh, you know it's a tough, it's a tough call because I don't, I don't give a give a ten often, but I don't see any flaws in this episode, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. And um, for, all, for all my maligning of Picard's character, I think he's written, like, in a very interesting, like, you know, him and Moriarty going toe-to-toe. I think the the schemes are clever. The concept is clever. The reveal is clever. I'm sure for the time it must have been totally mind-blowing that they were they were in the holodeck um, when they didn't realize it. So I'm going to give it a 10. I did not see that coming. I said 8.5. Uh, yeah. But this episode, I watch it again and again. I watch it all the time. I really enjoy it. I love Barkley. I, I really, really enjoy uh, Davies' portrayal of, of Moriarty. Um, so good. I think that this episode, uh, Daniel Davis is sorry. Why did I call him Davies? Daniel Davis. Uh, I really enjoy this episode quite a bit. So for me, this episode, weirdly... I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give it a ten. I gotta give it a ten too. Oh my goodness! I'm shocked now. <laughs> After that, well, that because I have always seen the episode a certain way, and I vehemently right. disagree with how you have interpreted the episode. But that doesn't mean that we both can't enjoy the shit out of it. Uh, That's true. So yeah, weirdly, it's a really fantastic. It's also like delightfully. It's it's sort of. There's a little more whimsy to it. Do you know what I mean? Whenever you have Moriarty and he... Yeah. Uh, not Moriarty, but whenever you have Barkley, there's more whimsy in the episode, I feel. And I like that. Right. I like a little bit of yeah. the of the, of the the piece of the action style Star Trek, you know, where it's like, this is very dumb. They're on a gangster planet from the 30s, but whatever. I enjoy it. Right. You know... They might have had a little bit. They might have explored a little bit more with with um, with Barkley and his and his obsession with holodeck characters and being on the holodeck and almost beginning. And as I think he even says in his episode that he they're more real to him than real people because of his relationship to them. That he would have been one who was sort of defending Barkley and siding with Barkley a little bit more. And uh, sorry, it was defending Moriarty. And yeah, just, I mean, but siding with Moriarty a little bit, he, and maybe he, speaking he, his case to like when Picard. he goes to the uh, Jupiter station to try to save Zimmerman, the Doctor's creator in Voyager. Um, mm-hmm. You really, I think, like the exploration of how. Of 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 Barkley and his love of holodecks is far from over, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, uh, great. You know, because he creates that whole holodeck version of Voyager and like spends so much fucking time on Voyager in the holodeck. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like you probably 
have buried those episodes out of your memory because you weren't a big Barkley fan back then. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, now you Barkley. do. Time to pull up Aquiel. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an episode of Star Trek I've seen a total of one time. I never saw this episode of the original run. I randomly was watching TV, BBC America. This was airing probably in 2010. And I was like, what the fuck is this episode? I've never seen it. First of all, it was a joyous moment because it was a new episode of Star Trek The Next Generation to me. But second of all, oh, it was Aquiel, and I think we all know how we feel. Let's hit the trailer. Three, two, one. The search is on for a cold-blooded killer behind an unspeakable murder. I kill no one. We know you were there. And blind passion traps Jordy with a prime suspect. Do I seem like the kind of person who would murder someone? There's a lot about her we don't know. And there's a lot about her that I do know. And if she's innocent, I want to help her prove it. Now, will he be the next target for death? I didn't kill him. Then explain this. Step away from him, Lieutenant. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm, that's crazy. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> Accurate trailer. I mean, it's it's really God. What was the name of the episode? The next episode of of Enterprise that we are watching next week. I would love to play that trailer for everybody here who wasn't involved with the Enterprise uh, Patreon episode. Uh, God, what was it called? I oh, actually, I probably have it in my history it's the one after breaking the ice uh it's civilization episode nine so that you know i think you'd all agree star trek fans who've seen it before uh that that uh, was a pretty you know it's a bonkers episode a bonkers trailer pretty accurate you sort of get everything every beat of it but then uh, this was the trailer we stumbled across for the next episode of Enterprise. Mind you, this was from 2001. It began as a mission of mercy. People are dying and I can't determine why. Tell us what you know. We might be able to help. But became something more personal. There are lots of inhabited planets to see, but I doubt many will be this memorable. <laughs> An all-new Enterprise. <laughs> so if anyone, if anyone out there like wants to cut a TNG trailer to that song... Be my guest. <laughs> it's almost like a, like a like a parody of a Star Trek. It's trailer. so bizarre. <laughs> uh, but Aquiel, everybody, I haven't seen. You know, I've watched it once, so I'm I'm interested to watch it a second time, and uh, sort of dive deep. Meanwhile, now I have to reconsider how I feel about Picard and what kind of a monster he might be to supervillains uh, and English dames alike. <laughs> you know, it's uh, we look at things from a different well, different angles on the show. Maybe ruined Picard forever for me because you had a theory in here. It's that Andy's theories are very interesting because he's really smart. Disengage? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you didn't do the uh, predicting oh, well, my guess, thing well, for we'll next week. Back. Hang on. Let's go back to the ship. <laughs> Here we are, everybody. Let me now. This actually, this is interesting. So I guess I'd How say. Do I, do this? I guess I'd say. This episode once. So I guess I'd say my theory is that Picard is the Moriarty. So Moriarty is Moriarty. the Sherlock. <laughs> is what you're saying. Mo yeah, and Moriarty and is the, the Sherlock Watson, to Picard. Barclay? 
Good question. I guess it's <laughs> Stephanie Beecham from the Colbys. <laughs> Barkley? Is Barkley uh, the one? All right, everybody. So let's let's figure <laughs> out. So next week, it's Aquiel. Here we go. Hey, Matt. Will Andy enjoy this episode? I don't think so, but he could surprise me. <laughs> and now, guess Andy's ranking. Probably like a four. I'm more like I'm more convinced about my nice. thought on your ranking than I am about whether or not you'll like it. Does that make any sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel it like does. it's gonna be a four. You could like it and it'd still be a four, but I think it's gonna be a four. <laughs> yeah. We definitely swing wildly and it doesn't, it doesn't it seem wild to match our ratings. A bottle of ten. <laughs> <laughs> It's a Very great enjoyable. episode of Star it's, Trek. It's, what are you going to do? It's the relics of, uh, <laughs> of uh, well, I guess six season had relics in it already. So, Did we even, I don't even know if I gave I relics did. a 10. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Aquiel. We got some interesting, some episodes that I, oh, got Birthright coming up. Starship Mind Lessons, The Chase. Oh, I love The Chase. That's a good one. Frame of Mind. Don't care for that one that much. Suspicions. Oh, that's great. That's Beverly Crusher. Uh, as though she were. Um, come on. Uh, give me the... What was the show? After The Odd Couple, Klegman was a doctor who solved murders. Um, yes, the doctor's that this that episode, suspicious episode twenty two of season six is I I refer to that as Beverly Crusher Quincy MD. <laughs> uh, so and then rifle air, then second chances, then timescape, and then descent. Wow, we are barreling into some some stuff here. Tapestries coming up. Face of the enemy. Yeah. Can't wait to find out more about the tall Shiar. Guys, stay tuned. Stay subscribed. Be cool. And uh, most importantly, if you run into Moriarty, try to out Moriarty him, I guess. Disengage.